0: Omagnana Thermandimarandashya Janajana Shalakaya Chakshurmi Tam Jaina Tasmai Shri Guruvaina Maha. I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam sapitamjana butale swayamrupa kadamayam tadati swa padantikam. When will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who was established within this material world, the mission to fulfill the desire of Lloyd Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone, and they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita I offer my respectful obeisances unto Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhar Pandit Sri Vas Thakur and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama Rama Rama, Rama Hare Hare I pray that Sri Sri Radha Lachanji, Srila Prabhupada, and Srila Gurudev use me as an instrument so that their message can flow through me to give me the words to serve the Vaishnavas listening. Today is Tuesday, November 30th, 2021, and we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 11, Lord Krishna's Entrance into Dwarka, Text 31. Patnya patim Prihannupagatam vilokya sanjata mahatsava Uta, Uta-sthivur-arath-saha-sanasat sakam vraite vrithi Ta lochanaha Patya Patim Prashio Utastu Rarat Saha Sayyat Sakam vriti arviti Luchana Anaha Patna the ladies wives of Sri Lord Shri Krishna Patim, Husband Proshya who was away from home Sriha Anuppagatam, now returned home. Vilokya, thus seeing Sanjata having developed Manaha Maha Utsava, a sense of joyful ceremony within the mind. Ceremony within the mind. Utastu who got up arat from a distance sahasa all of a sudden asana from the seats asayat from the state of meditation sakam along with vritai the vow vridita, looking coyly lochana, eyes, ananaha, with such faces. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. The queens of Lord Sri Krishna rejoiced within their minds to see their husband home after a long period abroad. The queens got up at once from their seats and meditations as was socially customary, they covered their faces shyly and looked about coyly. Purport. As mentioned above, the Lord entered his home palaces occupied by 16,108 queens. This means that the Lord at once expanded himself in as many plenary expansions as there were queens and palaces and entered in each and every one of them simultaneously and separately. Here is another manifestation of the feature of his internal potency. He can expand himself in as many forms of spiritual identity as he desires, even though he is one without a second. It is confirmed by the Shruti mantra that the absolute is one alone, and yet he becomes many as soon as he so desires. These manifold expansions of the Supreme Lord are manifested as plenary and separated portions. The separated portions are representations of his energy, and the plenary portions are manifestation of his personality. Thus, the personality of God had manifested himself in 16,108 plenary expansions and simultaneously entered into each and every one of the palaces of the queens. This is called Vaibhava, or the transcendental potency of the Lord. And because he can do so, he is also known as Yogeshvara, Ordinarily, a yogi or mystic living being is able to expand himself at utmost to tenfold expansions of their body. But the Lord can do so to the extent of as many thousands or infinitely as he likes. Unbelievers become astonished to learn that that Lord Krishna married more than 16,000 queens because they think of Lord Krishna as one of them and measure the potency of the Lord by their own limited potency. One should know, therefore, that the Lord is never on the level of living beings who are but expansions of his marginal potency. And one should never equalize the potent and the potency, although there is very little difference of quality between the potent and the potency. The queens were also expansions of his eternal potency, and thus the potent and potencies are perpetually exchanging transcendental pleasures known as pastimes of the Lord. One should not, therefore, become astonished to learn that the Lord married so many wives. On the contrary, one should affirm that even if the Lord marries 16,000 million wives, he is not completely manifesting his unlimited and inexhaustible potency. He married only 16,000 wives and entered in each and every one of the different palaces just to impress in the history of the human beings On the surface of the earth that the Lord is never equal to or less than any human being, however powerful one may be. No one, therefore, is either equal to or greater than the Lord. The Lord is always great in all respects. God is great, is eternal truth. Therefore, as soon as the queen saw from a distance their husband, who was away from home for long periods due to the battle of Kurukshetra, They all arose from slumber of meditation and prepared to receive their most beloved. According to Yegna Valkya's religious injunctions, a woman whose husband is away from home should not take part in any social functions, should not decorate her body, should not laugh, and should not go to any relative's house in any circumstance. This is the vow of the ladies whose husbands are away from home. At the same time, it is also enjoined that a wife should never present herself before the husband in an unclean state. She must decorate herself with ornaments and good dress and should always be present before the husband in a happy and joyous mood. The queens of Lord Krishna were all in meditation, thinking of the Lord's absence, and were always meditating upon him. The Lord's devotees cannot live for a moment without meditating on the Lord. And what to speak of the queens, who are all goddesses of fortune incarnated as queens in the pastimes of the Lord at Dwarka? They can never be separated from the Lord, either by presence or by trance. The gopis at Vrindavan could not forget the Lord when the Lord was away in the forest cowherding. When the Lord boy Krishna was absent from the village, the gopis at home used to worry about him traversing through the rough ground with his soft lotus feet. By thinking thus, they were sometimes overwhelmed, entranced, and mortified in the heart. Such is the condition of the pure associates of the Lord. They are always entranced, and so the queens also were entranced during the absence of the Lord. Presently, having seen the Lord from a distance, they at once gave up all their engagements, including the vows of women as described above. According to Sri vishnava Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur, there was a regular psychological reaction on the occasion. First of all, rising from their seats, although they wanted to see their husband, they were deterred because of feminine shyness. But due to strong ecstasy, they overcame that stage of weakness and became caught up with the idea of embracing the Lord. And this thought factually made them unconscious of their surrounding environment This prime state of ecstasy annihilated all other formalities and social conventions, and thus they escaped all stumbling blocks on the path of meeting the Lord. That is the perfect stage of meeting the Lord of the soul, Sri Krishna. So there's a lot going on in this purport. I think we can focus on a few points. One is that God is great. Prophets said in the purport, God is great. And we've discussed the greatness of God previously, including his ability to expand himself into 16,108 um, husbands of, these, of the queens and was present in each and every palace simultaneously. So it's hard for us to conceive that kind of potency because we've not seen any example of it. And... A lot of times for us, our belief and faith comes from experiential, um, process. We have to experience it. We have to see it. We have to touch it. We have to know it. Or we have to at least, um, trust somebody or have faith in somebody who's telling us these things that we can say, okay, they've seen it. They've, they've felt it. They've touched it, right? So we depend on our own material senses. To guide us in what to believe and what to not believe. And so when we hear about something like this, where Krishna expands himself and he's married to 16,000 wives, it kind of pushes us beyond our sense of comfort, sense of belief. It's unlike anything that we've seen or experienced in this material world. Um, we may have had, you know, one relationship we're currently in one relationship or we've had a few relationships throughout our lives and to be present fully for just even one person is hard you know what to speak of 16,000 so it's hard for us to imagine that kind of ability because we don't we aren't there yet he Prabhupada also mentions the name Yogeshra that Krishna is the greatest of yogis we have to understand this is an understatement. In Bhagavad Gita 10:40-41, 40, Krishna says there's no end to my divine manifestations. What I've spoken to you is but a mere indication of my infinite opulences. Know that all opulent, beautiful and glorious creations spring from but a spark of my splendor. So he displayed his unlimited potency by marrying 16,000 over 16,000 wives. And he equally maintained each and every one of them. So we have to just, in some ways, have faith that Krishna did this. And we can take um, evidence or proof from spiritual beings or people that are more highly advanced in us in our spiritual process than we are, such as Narada Muni. There's a story where Narada Muni... Is going to visit Krishna in the palace and he sees, you know, Krishna with one of his wives. So he goes to another palace and he sees Krishna in that palace. And he goes to another. So he Narda Muni, as a pure devotee of the Lord, is also able to expand himself in each of these arenas, you know, in each of the palaces, and to see Krishna. And he sees Krishna in each of them and he's Krishna's doing different things. Sometimes we may watch some sci-fi or supernatural show where or movie where, um, you know, somebody has the power to clone, like they have the superpower to clone themselves. But each and every clone is doing the exact same thing as the original. So the clone doesn't have the ability to act independently. But in this case, Krishna was acting independently in each and every one of the palaces. They were doing different things. And One, he was... You know, sleeping, another he was eating, another he was, you know, playing, doing other things like that. So each Krishna was their own person, and yet it's still Krishna. And Narada Muni was able to expand himself and um, see, like he was able to see all of this. And so he understood that Krishna was able to expand himself. So we've discussed before that we are parts and parcels of Krishna. So as pure devotees, you know, like such as Narada Muni, we can also have the same qualities of Krishna, although Krishna is infinite and we are finite. You know, God is great and we are small, but we are, the quality is the same. It's compared to like the vast ocean and a drop of water. The drop of water same in quality as the ocean, but the ocean is so much more in quality. So if we purify our senses, our senses become an extension of our soul, not the body. And that's what we're striving to do in this process of Krishna consciousness, is purify our senses. In Bhagavad Gita 15.7, Krishna says, The living entities in this conditioned world are my eternal fragmental parts. Due to conditioned life, they are struggling very hard with the six senses, which include the mind. I think also we can say especially the mind. Right? So we know that there's three major ways of we experience suffering or ways that we can be caused pain. We um, can be caused pain by nature, you know, adhidavik, things like hurricanes and tsunamis and extreme heat and extreme cold and things like that. Um, we can experience pain from other living entities, adibothic which is things like, you know, mosquitoes, other people, um, things like that. And then we can experience pain from our own mind, our own self, atmic. And that's really where most of our suffering comes from, because we learn in the Bhagavad Gita that we want to be steady regardless of happiness, distress, good, bad, cold, heat, um, honor, dishonor, whatever anybody else says to us, whatever anything else happens to us, we want to remain steady. And that really just comes from our own mind. we I mentioned this before, but this example always comes to me. Like, someone can say something to you, and you can go, What do they mean by that? Right? So, if someone's like, Oh, you're looking nice today, and then I could think, Oh, thanks. But then I'm like, Wait, do they mean that I don't normally look nice? Or, you know, so we can have this whole dialogue playing in our head that really exemplifies our own insecurities, our own doubts, our own fears, the things that constantly, that voice that's constant in our head that can um, bring us down. So, you know, one of the things that I've heard and I really try to practice really in my life is that, you know, somebody says something like, oh, that's an interesting shirt. And we know sometimes people use the word interesting to not use a negative word, but sometimes they can mean it in a, you know, not so nice word. It's not a compliment necessarily. But I don't necessarily know what they meant by that. So I could have any dialogue in my head for that. And for some reason, we default to, what do they mean by that? Do they not like me? Do they not like this shirt? Does this shirt not look good on me? You know, instead of like, oh, it is interesting because it's got different colors and, you know, great observation, like any dialogue could occur in my head. Sometimes um, we can call someone or text someone, and they don't respond right away, and we think, oh, my God, they must not like us. Um, maybe they're mad at me. Maybe they, you know, um, don't want to talk to me. Again, it could be anything. I don't know what's happening on the other end. So if I'm telling myself stories, why not tell myself positive stories? They're busy. They want to talk to me, but maybe they got distracted. You know, it... It doesn't really, there's no way for me to know for sure until that person says, no, I don't want to talk to you. Right? And even then, it's still, there's still dialogue in my head. Okay, they don't want to talk to me. We're not a right fit. That's okay. You know, we don't get along with everybody all the time. Even in the spiritual world, we see that there's you know spiritual rivalries amongst the gopis, and it's all fun and games. It's not um, true enemies or anything like that it's just a little you know friendly competition so we can have that here in the material world everything's kind of skewed it's a perverted reflection so we'll have rivalries but they may be a little bit more intense but at the same time you know we each have our own desires we each have our own insecurities and doubts and Maybe, if, you know, someone's like, oh, no, I didn't want to talk to you. Maybe it's because somehow or another I bring out those insecurities in them. Or maybe there's a way that I speak that they're it, it's not pleasing to them. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with them. It just may mean that somehow or another we just don't get along. But yet we tend to just think the world is over. If one person doesn't like us, or one person doesn't want to spend time with us. It's like, oh, my God, I must be the most horrible person. You know, we, this is the constant dialogue we have in our head. It just says in Bhagavad Gita 6.5, one must deliver oneself with the help of one's mind and not degrade oneself. The mind is the friend of the conditioned sold and their enemy as well. So we have to work on making the mind our friend and not our enemy. You know, it's like, why do we have these kind of thoughts in the first place? Why is our default condition to think these negative thoughts? And one theory is that it helps protect us. Um, You know, these thoughts that we have, they can help protect us. They can keep us in our comfortable place, right? It could be, oh, don't don't speak in front of people because you can make a fool out of yourself and then, People won't like you or they'll judge you or something like that, right? So it's there to protect us, but that's not necessarily in our best interest. We can see so many times examples of people that can give you great advice, but it may not necessarily be in your best interest. You know, it could be to push you to do something that you're definitely not ready to, or it could be to just keep you complacent where you're at so you're not really making any progress. So we all... have to um, kind of take stock. You know, um, tomorrow's the 1st of December, the last month of this year. It's usually a good time to start taking stock of where you are currently in your life, right? We have different categories that we look at in terms of where we are in our life. Of course, we want to really focus on where we are spiritually, but we also know that every, All parts of our lives feed into all other parts of our lives. So if my health isn't so good, it's harder to do service. It's harder to stay concentrating on chanting um, our mantra meditation, chanting japa. It's harder to um, be present for other people in our relationships to take advantage of association. So health is important. Then if our finances aren't, you know straight then we can be constantly stressed about you know the finances <clears throat> and so then we're not concentrating we're not present again in different places it can you know a lot of times when people have financial stress it creates a lot of stress and anxiety in their relationships and um i think some one of the statistics i've read before is that between um a spousal relationship husband wife or any iteration there of two spouses. Financial stress is usually the biggest contributor to arguments, to separation. So financial stress is a huge thing. We want to make sure that we're taking care of that. And there are things like you know, emotional and mental well-being, um, physical well-being, Uh, family relationships, you know, how are your relationships doing? All of these things are part of our entire well-being that we want to focus on. And all of these things really comes down to what are the thoughts that we have in our head? You know, what's that dialogue coming through? If you are looking to make positive changes on your health and well-being, well, that requires some changing habits, right? It might require a different way of eating, you know, maybe you want to cut back on some sugary drinks, sodas, or juices, um, but you're so used to that, and it's hard to get into the habit of drinking water, but that's a habit that you want to make, um, and how you are successful in making those habits is all dependent on the thoughts that you have in your head, you know, those thoughts are like, well, it's not going to hurt you, you know, remember, our thoughts are meant to keep us, like, comfortable, to you know it's like everything's good we let's just do what feels comfortable right um if you know, I was bring up losing weight because that's always something that I'm you know it's always a battle for me, so it could be that well, it doesn't really matter let's just have that you know cookie, cake, ice cream, whatever it is, um because right now that'll make you feel good and who cares about later on, right? That's like the mind's dialogue. And then you have to retrain the mind to just kind of think, let's do what's best overall. It may not be comfortable. You know, the best thing might be to instead of looking for that cookie, grabbing a celery stick or a carrot stick or um, finding something else to do. Maybe I'm not even hungry at all, right? Maybe I'm thirsty. So finding water to drink. Um, So it's kind of like, Like you would with a child, you redirect their energies and thoughts when they're doing something that would be harmful for them to do or something you don't want them to do. So it's better to redirect, um, because even within our minds, if, you know, if the more I tell myself, no, you can't have that, no, you can't have that, the more I want it. And we see that behavior in children as well. So our mind is like a child. We have to really discipline our mind and redirect it. And we want, I'm a big proponent of doing it with, Compassion with love, being gentle on ourselves. And that works for me. Some other people need a little bit tougher love, right? They, they need something that's going to be like, no, don't do, don't do that. Let's focus on this instead. Um, so we want to make sure that we're really focusing on what our thoughts are. How, you know, how can we change those thoughts to be more positive? And ultimately, we want our thoughts to focus on Will this please Krishna or will this not please Krishna? Because if it doesn't please Krishna, ultimately, it's not something that we want to do. And if it does please Krishna, then we want to make sure that we, you know, bend over backwards to do it. And sometimes that can be hard as well. So I think I mentioned previously that the biggest fear that people have more than death, more than, you know, dismemberment is public speaking. Um, I think more than 90% of global population, like all around the world, not just in the U.S., have a fear, like a morbid fear of public speaking. And part of that is, you know, what if I don't know what to say? What if I say something stupid and people laugh at me and, you know, I'll look like a fool? And when I started Realizing that I wanted to educate people, that I wanted to talk to, you know, in front of groups of people, it wasn't that much of a fear, but it was a little bit of an anxiety or fear that I needed to get past. And someone said something to me that really hit home for me. It's that if I'm sitting here worried about what people will think of me, will I make a fool of myself? Will, you know, will whatever I say make sense? Is it, am I even smart enough? But knowing that I am, knowing that I have the information and the skills, and I still have these doubts and insecurities, then I'm really just paying more attention to myself and my worries than I am for anyone else that I could be educating and showing up for. So in some ways, I have to get out of my head and look at who is it that I'm serving and focus more on them than I am about my own suffering, right? Because those thoughts that I have is my own suffering. Even if people laugh and I make a fool of myself, there might be one person, you know, in a group of like a hundred or fifty or even a thousand. If you have one person that's like, wow, that person really inspires me. I can relate to that person. I understand what that person's going through. Then it makes all the difference. That means I put aside my own comfort, my own, like, securities, insecurities to show up for one person. And that's what we want to do. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita 6.4, A person is said to be elevated in yoga when having renounced all material desires, when neither acts for sense gratification nor engages in fruitive activities. So when we show up for our services, whatever our service may be, in whatever way we are, contributing to Lord Chaitanya's mission to spread Krishna consciousness. We want to renounce our own material desires within that. And we don't want to act for our own sense gratification or engage in fruitive activities. So when I'm sitting here thinking, will people like me, will, you know, um, sometimes you, you do have to balance this idea of being in front of people in public speaking with wanting fame and glory and praise Uh, with encouragement and inspiration and, you know, motivation, right? So I want to focus more on the encouragement and inspiration than I do the fame and the glory. The fame and the glory is more about sense gratification, whereas the other is more about helping someone else, is is spreading the mission. But really, it doesn't matter. I'm doing, like, the thing I want to focus on is doing the activities that I want to do. Um, you know before i started giving srimad bhagavatam class the number one thing that prevented me from doing it was having to sing the Jai Radha madhava prayers i don't really sing i can't keep a tune can't keep a beat i can in a group setting where other people are there and i can you know sing like that so it it took me kind of getting past that that Okay, I can't sing. It's gonna be what it is gonna be. If you know, if I can find someone else to sing for me, that's great. I'm gonna do that. But if I can't, and there were many times in you know, especially during the pandemic, where there's nobody else in the temple room, you know, it was up to me to sing. Well, am I gonna not give an entire Srimad Bhagavatam class because I'm too shy to sing the Jay Radha prayers? You know, or another Thing that holds people back from giving class is having to say the verse. I mean, it, you know, you hear me stumble through it. It's not the easiest thing sometimes. And the crazy thing is, I practice it. Like, there's a moment, you know, every Monday night I'm like practicing saying the verse and I'm like, okay, I got it. And then I get here and it's like, I butcher it all over again. But I feel it because I'm still putting myself out there that is empowering me in other ways like maybe i can't pronounce sanskrit properly maybe i can't you know sing the verses the way the tune that they're supposed to be sung in um, or that sounds pleasing to be sung in you know that's not something that that's my strength but the other parts are my strength so am i going to let those parts that aren't my strengths keep me from you know giving a class so it's kind of like we have to Push past these insecurities and these kinds of things. And Prabhupada says that in, you know, in the last sentence of the purport, the prime state of ecstasy annihilated all other formalities and social conventions, and thus they escaped all stumbling blocks on the path of meeting the Lord. And that's where we really want to be, that doesn't matter. We can have our fears, we can have our insecurities, we can have our doubts. But our desire to serve our guru and Krishna and to see Krishna and to serve Krishna is higher and stronger than those doubts and insecurities. You know, it's not that we don't have them anymore. It's that we have something that's propelling us even deeper, you know, it's stronger than those doubts and insecurities. And one of the things that we can do to help course it always comes back to chanting japa when we chant you know on in our mantra meditation we strengthen that relationship with krishna and then krishna strengthens us i was having this discussion with some friends of mine about how you know we all have challenges in our lives and that when we are chanting like Really focusing on those, on the, on chanting the best quality rounds that we're able to do at this moment in time. So it's not like perfect, like for me it's not perfectly attentive, but at this moment in time it's the best that I can do. And if I'm doing that, I find that a lot of pieces of my life start to fall into place. Those, like that dialogue in my head starts to become a little bit more positive. You know, it's, when somebody says something to me, it doesn't affect me as much. But when I'm not chanting as attentively, I'm not chanting at the best level that I can at this current moment, I find that those little, the doubts and insecurities tend to get a little stronger and they seep in a little more into my day. So we want to make sure that we are strengthening our mind by chanting. You know, mantra means um, to free the mind. And that's what we're looking to do, is to free the mind, to attach it to Krishna. And we can do that by focusing on chanting, by focusing all of our activities as a way of pleasing Krishna, as pleasing the devotees, as pleasing Lord Caitanya, you know, as pleasing Srila Prabhupada, if it's some form of preaching and service. And the best form of preaching and service is to live by example. So even if you're not, like I'm not, going out on book distribution or harinam, you know, group chanting, leading kirtans, um, I think my biggest contribution to preaching is dressing the the deities. And I have read that that is a form of preaching because people come and see the nicely dressed deities. Um, and then, of course, I'm working on my own way of preaching, um, you know, through health as a medium, where, you know, connecting health and spirituality. Because, like I said, they're all tied together. So that's my way, but somebody else's, you know, ways to go out on books or to sing, because they have a nice singing voice, so they preach by singing. Or, you know, somebody else has a really good uh, entrepreneur mind, business skills, so they have a good thriving business and then they donate and maintain their family and, um, you know, donate to the temple is a way of preaching as well. So how we live our lives is the number one most important way that we preach, no matter what else way that we engage in preaching. So when we are chanting our own rounds... Um, very nicely, again, to the best that we can at the current moment, then we are engaging in the highest form of preaching because that will show up in the rest of our lives, in the rest of our day, like how we live our lives. So um, I will stop there and see if we have any questions. I think the microphone's there. Do you have any questions? No? All right, then I will end here. Dharantara Shreemad Bhagavatam Ki